Hallelujah. How many want the Lord to have his way today? Amen. You know what that means? If he's going to have his way, that means we can't have ours. <laughs> Uh-oh. Somebody say amen. What an honor to be here together in the house of the Lord. If you'd all stand with me today, I appreciate that. I know it's difficult sometimes, but thank you for uh, being with us today in the house of the Lord. Let me mention today begins our, uh, our preaching point in Carlisle, Illinois, just 20 plus miles to the west today. I thank God for that. And just so you know, there's, there's a corridor between Salem and O'Fallon, Muscoota area, Lebanon area, and just a little south of there, there's a corridor where there's no apostolic churches in that area. I, I've noticed that for years. Well, it's time to quit noticing it. It's like walking by the trash can every day. Somebody's got to take that out. You just one day, you just say, okay, I'm taking it out. Now, those cities aren't trash, and the gospel's not trash. So we're not, it's not a pure analogy, but I will say somewhere you got to do something about it. He used to preach for a pastor that his famous saying was, are we going to talk about it or are we going to do it? So we just made up our minds, and we, you know, we had people here that want to be involved in the kingdom. And so today we begin, amen, a thrust into Carlisle, Illinois. And years ago, there was a church started there. Amen. We're looking forward to God continuing to pour out His Spirit in Carlisle, Illinois. I believe God will bless us when we bless others. So today, you are well aware we had a sign-up sheet, but that sign-up sheet was very important because we're not going to take a hundred people over there and... So there'll be a handful that go every Sunday, 2.30, and uh, be mindful of that. And today we've got a group going, and if you want to go, uh, please make sure you uh, let Brother Greg Wright know, or at least sign up in some way, let somebody know uh, that you want to be a part of that, whether it's every month, you can go certain Sundays. We're going to be a support team, and we're believing God to fill people with the Holy Ghost, to raise up an apostolic church in Carlisle. Amen. 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 So we're thankful for that. So that's today. Don't forget that. And then a Bible a quizzing fundraiser. We thank God for our quizzing ministry in our church. And uh, those that are involved in that, Sister Jean leading that, Shayla, our state quiz coordinator. Uh, we're Bible quizzing changes lives. So make a donation today. They've even made little individual desserts. That's good for all of us that want to eat it all at one time. They just We can pace ourselves. Somebody say amen. So uh, stop by the bake sale. That will help our uh, quiz teams go to nationals, and that's coming up very quickly. And in regard to that, we have Brother Faubert here today. He's our national quiz coordinator, and our young people and students quiz all year long, and they answer questions, and they interrupt questions if you've never been a part of a quizzing tournament it's amazing it's amazing what these young people and these students do and uh, memorize the word of God hundreds and hundreds of verses committed to memory and then they go to tournaments and in those tournaments they're asked questions now the premier question writer the guy that writes the best questions is here today he's going to be preaching for us today I don't know if he's going to have any questions for us, but they're good if he does. But uh, our young people are excited uh, to have. He was here yesterday for our Tournament of Champions, a quizzing tournament. We had 24 teams here yesterday, and they had a great time. And uh, we're just honored to have Brother Faubert. We want him to stay over and preach. We want him to take his liberty, don't we? We want to hear what thus saith the Lord. How many want to hear from the Lord today? Let's welcome Brother Faubert as he comes today to preach the Word of God to us. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Gene. Thank you so very much. Hallelujah. Oh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. 
with apostolics and know how to worship. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's been a year since I was with you, and um, I, I cannot truly express how much I enjoyed and was blessed by being with you last year in worship and being with your pastor and his family. Such great people. And um, I was at a critical point in my life and ministry, and I really needed to be with you. And I thank you for being sensitive to the Lord, responding in worship to the Word, and your pastor and his family as well. Just such good people. Don't you feel better for being around good people? Amen. Just such affirming. And I needed, I needed that affirmation. Thank you, Brother Gene. Thank you very much. And so it is once again a blessing to be with you in the house of the Lord this morning. We're going to read a single scripture before we pray and you're seated. 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6 in the King James Version reads, And David was greatly distressed. You say that with me, greatly distressed. That may be underselling it somewhat. David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Now, as bad as things have gotten from time to time in my life or in your life, I don't know that we've ever been threatened with stoning. This is what David was facing. The people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But, but, how such big things turn on such a small word. <laughs> Hallelujah. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Can we pray this morning? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this wonderful atmosphere of worship. God, that has prepared our hearts, God, for the sowing of the seed. Lord, hallelujah. I pray, God, that it find good ground, not wayside ground, not stony ground, not thorny ground, God, but good ground in each and every heart this morning. Lord, hallelujah. God, for it is not the word that is at issue, Lord, for you promised that it would not go out void. God, accomplish that which you please in our hearts and lives this morning. In in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated, church. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. The background to this single verse that we read at the outset here was that Saul was trying to kill David. David was already on the run. And as he had fled for his life, he, he gathered men unto him that were outlaws themselves and disenfranchised, and he had this motley crew, and so he, it reached the point where he could no longer even stay in the nation of Israel, and so he had to flee to Philistia. And so a king, or, or really a, a warlord of a, a certain town there in, in Philistia, Achish, takes David in, because the enemy of your enemy is my friend, so he takes him in, and he gives him the city of Ziglag. The city of Ziglag. So David and his men and all their families in tow move into Ziglag, and they unpack and they settle in. Well, as was the case from time to time throughout the Old Testament, the Philistines gathered together to fight the Israelites. And so David, because he wants to show up and support his benefactors, he marches out to war as well, there with Achish. And all the other Philistine kings are looking around and looking at each other, and they're cockeyed and like, what is he doing here? Right? This is David. He slew Goliath. He's like, we're not going to battle with him because in the, in the heat of battle, he may turn on us to try to win the heart of Saul back to himself. And so they say, oh, no, 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 no. So Achish goes and apologizes and say, David, I'm sorry that you and your guys got all ready for battle and you marched and left. They're not going not gonna to have you. So 
David returns home to Ziglag. And we're going to back up a little bit in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and begin reading from verse 1. And this is a slightly longer passage. I'll read it in a more modern translation, the New Living Translation, perhaps uh, more adequately set the context here. Verse 1 of 1 Samuel 30 reads that three days later, so it took three days for David to leave Ziglag, reach the point of the battle, get turned away, and then return. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town in Ziglag, they found that the Amalekites, this was a, a group of nomadic raiders, they had made a raid into the Negev and Ziglag. They had crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. Now, the, <laughs> the Amalekites, they were a, a perpetual thorn in Israel's side to the point that because they had resisted the, the nation of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt during the Exodus, that God had directed Saul to completely wipe them out. Everyone, the livestock, men, women, children, the kings, everything. But Saul didn't do that. He saved the very best, and he saved the king, and all this, yeah. And so the Amalekites persisted. And don't you love it when somebody else's failure becomes your problem? Huh? More grace, God, please. If Saul had done what he was supposed to do, Ziglag wouldn't be in ashes right now. And I used to love, I used to say it a lot more frequently before I was full-time in ministry, but failure on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. I don't say that as often anymore. It seems I eat those words. Help me, Lord. But when you think about it, faced with that, should probably give us more resolve, or myself at least, more resolve to pray, Lord, let my failures not distress another. God, build a hedge around my failure and make up that which is lacking on my part. God, somehow mitigate my shortcomings and be in my life with that which I am not because I know that there's other people who are praying for more grace because of things that I have failed to do. Hallelujah. Help us, Lord. And so in verse 2, we continue to read. They had carried the Amalekites. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone because they were more valuable to be sold as slaves. Verse 3, when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Their eyes, their just emptied of tears, their face stained as it ran, just the, the smoke burning their eyes. Their, they could weep no more. Verse 5, even David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmel, from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger. I mean, if, if he hadn't been in trouble before or in danger having to flee Saul, being faced with the, the sidelong glances of all the other Philistine kings. If he wasn't in danger from the Amalekites himself, he comes back to this city in ash. Now he was in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. And this is verse 6 that we read at the outset. They began to talk of stoning him. No more tears to cry, and so they started talking amongst themselves and started whispering and murmuring and saying, this is David's fault. We followed him, we trusted him, and now we've lost everything. And just out of anger and, and just rage, they wanted to stone him. And I can testify to the fact, having worked in youth ministry for over 30 years of my life. Few things get people's dander up more than messing with their family. <laughs> yeah. 
These, these were men who had left their homes and their country with David. They were loyal to him. They were true to him. But they had reached their limit, and they were ready to stone him because they'd lost their family. David, already an outlaw, rejected by Saul, the king that he had faithfully served, rejected by his allies of convenience, the Philistines, and now facing rejection by his closest friends. Can you put yourself in David's shoes to some degree this morning? Having lost your family, everything that you owned in, in ruins and smoke and ash, and those that you trust your life to now seeking to take yours, almost feel the panic begin to like rise up in your throat a little bit, choke you off, huh? Yeah. David had done nothing sinful. This wasn't David's fault. It wasn't a result of folly or neglect. He was just trying to do what was right here. And yet here he was surrounded by people closing in on him, in fact, and yet David felt more cut off and alone, distressed and isolated than perhaps he had ever felt before in his life. However, I believe that this may not have been, while it may have been the, the greatest feeling of disconnectedness that David had felt, I believe that this wasn't his first time that he'd felt this way. Not the first time that he had experienced this sense of isolation, that it was just him and him alone. As a young shepherd, he spent day after day alone in the hills. Shepherds would sleep in the hills. They'd be gone for days and weeks at a time without any other human contact. That was David's job. He was the run to the litter, and that was his job. Even when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel... David's father, Jesse, didn't think to bring him home from the fields. Jesse thought so little of his youngest son that he could not fathom that David might be the future king. So while everyone else gathered to meet the prophet, David was left alone with the sheep, isolated, apart from even his family. But I believe that it was during these alone times with God that David came to realize and appreciate that he was never truly alone. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It was from these times, isolated in the hills, that some of the greatest, most vulnerable open and transparent expressions of worship came. We have them today, 150 psalms, half of which were written by David himself. Hallelujah. Because it came from a, a, a place where God alone could minister because everybody else was gone. It was just David and God. Perhaps the most famous of these is Psalms 23. When David sang, it was a a, a spontaneous expression of song. And David sang before it was written down. He sang, the Lord is my shepherd. Nobody else is here for me to count on. I haven't seen anybody for days or even weeks. But I know that the Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah. And I shall not want. Hallelujah. There's nothing that I need that I cannot receive from God. Hallelujah. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Oh, when my soul begins to groan in agony, he restores my soul. Hallelujah, hallelujah. When I start to run on empty, God just floods in and restores my soul. God, hallelujah. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, not my own not my reputation, not my ego, but for his name's sake and his righteousness. Yea, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Hallelujah. For thou 
art with me. Thou art with me. Do you notice the change there from the first three verses? He maketh me, he leadeth me, he restoreth me. But all of a sudden, David changes slightly. He says, thou art with me. Hallelujah. David was talking about God in verses 1, 2, and 3. But all of a sudden, he was talking with God in verses 4, 5, and 6. Hallelujah. And I submit to you that there must have been something that happened when he was alone in that valley of the shadow of death that changed his relationship with God. That it was not just knowing about God, but all of a sudden he was with God himself. Hallelujah, hallelujah. There was a deepening in that relationship. And it only happened when he had gone through the valley of the shadow of death. He continued, thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely... Surely, hallelujah, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Surely. That means that when we're heading down life's path, we're looking ahead, we don't always see the goodness and mercy that's following we see the problems, and we see the issues, and we see the isolation, and we're like, God, this is what's facing me? And we sometimes forget that goodness and mercy are right behind us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But the beautiful thing about this is when there's things in our path and the, the devil comes against us and he's facing it, when he is looking at us and we see the devil, he's not looking at you. He's looking at these two giants behind you, goodness and mercy, that are following you every day of your life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. If we just keep walking, he cannot stop us because goodness and mercy shall follow us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If we're not careful, however, we try to fill our every waking moment with something. We're so afraid of being disconnected that we're busying ourselves with something, whether it's work or conversation or the Internet or, God help us, Facebook or social media, music, right? We, we can't. We've got to pop the earbuds in because I, I can't stop and just be silent music or video games or sports or or news never a moment when we're not doing something or somehow engaged almost as if we're afraid to be alone separated from the world around us help us lord there's a a new diagnosis by the american psychological association it's called the fear of missing out the acronym is FOMO. Perhaps you've heard of it. FOMO is a per pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. This social anxiety is characterized by a desire to stay continually connected with what others are doing. Fear of missing out is also defined as a fear of regret, which may lead to a compulsive concern that one might miss an opportunity for social interaction. And so we're constantly scrolling Facebook. We're constantly listening to Stephen A. Smith drone on and on and on. What a blowhard. God help us. Or the talking heads on Fox News or CNN. Because we can't miss out on something that happens. All the while God's saying, just be alone with me. Why don't you just be alone with me and just shut out all of that noise and the cacophony? Because there are times God orchestrated, God ordained times when we are by design 
to be alone, to feel alone. Not necessarily that we are alone, but that we feel alone. Alone. Cut off from everything else and disconnected. Every great and godly figure in Scripture went through moments, even seasons, of isolation to varying degrees. Job, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Gideon, Elijah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Peter, Paul, John, even Jesus himself. Eli, Eli, Lamach Sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We have a high priest who was in all points tempted like as we are. Jesus felt that alone, that disconnectedness. Oh, God. Now, I submit to you, I, I admit, because I've done it myself, we can cut ourselves off by our wrong decisions and our poor judgment, by allowing sin in our lives that goes unrepented. We spurn God's wisdom from His Word. We reject godly counsel of leaders and mentors in our lives. And when we do that, we disconnect ourselves from the body of Christ. We shut ourselves out. But I, I'm not talking about those things. And if you are experiencing something along those lines, in a few moments we're going to open this altar and you need to respond to the conviction of God through His Word and His messenger this morning to make it right in this altar this morning. But I'm not talking specifically about those moments, about our own foolish and self-destructive acts. We blame God, we blame others, and we don't take responsibility for what we've done ourselves. But I'm specifically talking this morning about the times and seasons that are designed by God to isolate us, even perhaps from our closest friends. I went through a season several years ago when many of my friends in ministry turned away from this truth. And I really wrestled and I struggled. I wept many tears over them in prayer. They had a choice and I had a choice in that moment. And so we are faced with such a choice in those moments where we feel isolated and alone. And those who have been closest to us, who have supported us even, aren't there. And the choice is, do we gravitate to them to resolve our isolation? Or do we gravitate to God? Do we draw close to those around us to try to assuage this feeling of loneliness or do we draw close to God closer and closer to God to feel more and more of him hallelujah that is the question indeed do we look to people to fill our time and plans or do we learn to rely on God for his solace for his guidance do we listen to the words of friends or train our ear to hear the voice of God in our lives, like that still, small voice Elijah heard when he was alone, discouraged, disconnected on the mountain. God has certainly given you family and friends and mentors, leaders in your life, but God does not want a relationship with you through them. God wants a relationship with you directly. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He wants that one-on-one -on -one personal relationship and that relationship that only he has with you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And so David, surrounded by people, closing in upon him, feeling yet alone and disconnected, isolated, David encouraged himself in the Lord because he could not rely upon anybody else Everybody else was gone. It was just him and God. He's like, God, I need you. I need to encourage myself in you and you alone. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Because in those moments, God will test you to see if you will encourage yourself in the Lord as David did. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So what does it mean here this morning, church? What does it really mean in a practical sense to encourage yourself in the Lord? Well, first, let me, let me share with you. She's encouraging herself. Hallelujah. Let me share with you what it doesn't mean, all right? It doesn't mean that you blame others because David didn't blame Saul. He didn't grouse and complain, oh, this is all Saul's fault. If he'd killed off those Amalekites, I wouldn't be in this situation. He didn't point fingers or blame others. What is it? It doesn't mean to lash out at those who were, were threatening him. He didn't do that. David didn't beat himself up. Oh, woe is me. It's all oh, it's ash and darkness and I'm dead duck. And oh, God. No, he didn't beat himself up. David did not allow his feelings to dictate reality. David did not forget what he had been taught, and he did not forsake the foundation of his faith. All of these things are not what he did when he encouraged himself in the Lord. So what did David do? The Hebrew word there for encouraged literally means to seize, to grasp, to hold on, to strengthen so that begs the question, to what did David hold on? To what did he seize and grasp? On what did he strengthen his grip? I share with you this morning that David remembered the anointing he had received that day. When he walked from the sheep fields all alone back then, that oil was poured over his head as he stood in front of his friend, the prophet there, the God. He remembered that, and he held on to that, that God had anointed him for a purpose. He held on to the victories that had already been won, that Saul had killed his thousands, but David had killed his ten thousands. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He held on to the destiny that was upon him. He seized upon that in that moment, and he brought that back. He held firm to the fact that surely, oh, surely, goodness and mercy, I can't see them. I have to believe that they're back there. But surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Wherever I go, back and forth, hallelujah, I have to know that they're following me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He strengthened himself as he encouraged himself. Hallelujah. No matter ba how bad things get, no matter how alone you feel, hold on to God's promises for your life. Hold on to the word that he has spoken into your spirit. Hold on to those promises for your family. Hold on to those promises for this church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hold on to these promises for this city. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is exactly the time that you need to most encourage yourself in the Lord by taking God at the word that he has given you. Hallelujah. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's not changing. Heaven and earth is going to pass away before one jot or tittle of this word falls. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Lord, we can unwittingly, we can unwittingly, almost naturally define our security, our connectedness with a predefined checklist of life. I realized this as a young man in my early 20s that I had sort of resorted to this predefined checklist. Education, check. Education's important. I, I'm not <laughs> decrying that in the least. But we can sort of go through this checklist, education, check, or car, check. When you're a young person, car is a big check, right? Big check mark. You get that education, you get a career, check. And then you get a new car. <laughs> Marriage, check. A home, check. Promotion, check. Baby, check. 
Another baby, check. Minivan, check. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now you're writing checks, yeah. 401K, check. And we've reduced life and the security and our connectedness to a series of check marks. But the American dream cannot be the constraints within which we allow God to work. Let me say that again, church. The American dream cannot be the constraints within which we allow God to work. Oh, God, it's okay that you work and you move in my life within these boundaries, okay? Don't ask me to give up home. Don't ask me to move away from my family. Don't ask. Here are the constraints, God. Here's my checklist. Because when things go sideways in life, and we're feeling alone and depressed and disenfranchised. Our checklist will not be enough to see us through. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Our firstborn, my daughter, Taylor, was 18 months old, and she was strong and healthy. Such a great baby. She slept the night through by six weeks. Uh-huh. I, I was spoiled, really. Yeah. And, and she was such a, a joy. And all of my, my concerns of, you know, I had a brother growing up. I didn't really know how was I going to relate to a daughter, right? All of those concerns had just evaporated by that point. <laughs> and so when we were expecting Ryland, our oldest son, we just assumed that everything would be the same. Right? <laughs> I mean, we were young and ignorant, so. And yet God blew up my pre preconceptions. When in 2001, when Rylan was born, even prior to being born, there were some complications that were detected in his, in his heart. In fact, uh, my, my wife had gone for a doctor's appointment, and they said, are you expecting twins? Are like, Lord, no. <laughs> because his heart was beating so fast that they thought it was actually two hearts. He was born with a, a heart condition. They said, well, perhaps, you know, uh, many times it'll, uh, upon being born, you know, the shock of coming into this world, and that could do it, um, would set his heart right. And so we were praying and hoping that it would clear up upon birth, but it did not. And half of the first two years of his life, it, it, we spent in the hospital. It felt like we, we were living there for large stretches of time. And we, it would require three separate heart surgeries by the time he was five to effectively manage his condition found in less than one-half of one percent of heart patients. In fact, his paperwork got lost after he was born. And uh, this was Canada, universal health care. <laughs> so his paperwork got lost and we were sent home. But we got the call that, oh, no, you need to bring him back in because something's not right. And upon getting that word and before we had returned, I remember standing in our living room, this little baby boy against my, my chest, just praying over him. Nobody else there. It was just me alone. He didn't know what was going on, just a few weeks old. It was just me and God. But God moved in. And I cannot adequately convey the blessed assurance that I felt that while not everything was all right in this moment, and as we would find out in the, the days and months, years to come, but that everything would be all right. That blessed assurance that he was in God's hands, no matter how alone or felt, and no matter how disconnected, no matter 
how few answers we had, I had a blessed assurance that God was in control. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I couldn't turn to the doctors. I, I couldn't turn to friends and family that would give me this blessed assurance like my God could give. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Last month, we celebrated his 18th birthday. And today... The Lord's Day, he's in church on an AYC trip in Europe. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Because I testify, I'm here to testify to you this morning that you can hold on to God's promises and encourage yourself in the Lord. Hallelujah. If you strengthen yourself in the promises that you've received from God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In a shifting and uncertain world, we need to hold on to God's word, to his promises. Oh, we may well need to relinquish old hurts and faulty paradigms and worldviews and opinions. And we need to let go of ineffective methods. And perhaps we even need to let go of some close relationships. But we must buy the truth and sell it not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, and his words remained the same as when he spoke them that day, to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive to the gift of the Holy Ghost, because that promise is still true today. It is steadfast, it is sure, and one that you can hold on to for yourself. Hallelujah. No matter how great you think your sin is, God has promised that it will be washed away. Hallelujah. In the waters of baptism. No matter how unworthy you think you are, no matter how far off or cut off you feel, God has promised you the Holy Ghost, God himself dwelling within you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You can hold on to those promises from God. Don't believe the lies of the devil or your own self-doubt, self but hold on to God's word for your life. Hallelujah. People may let go of doctrine. We need to seize on it all the more. Hallelujah. People may let go of holiness, but we need to clutch the beauty of holiness closer than we ever have before. People may let go of godly heritage, but we need to grasp it more firmly than ever before in the 21st century. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. We've all heard that desperate times call for desperate measures. Right? We've all heard that. So in this desperate time that David faced, right, cut off alone, <laughs> zigzag burning, his wives captured, and his own closest men about to stone him, I'd say that's pretty desperate. What desperate measures did David resort to? We continue to read in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 30. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely, surely, surely recover everything that was taken from you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me break this down for you if I can. And for those who might like to take notes and you like bullet numbered lists in your notes, this is for you. Number one, what did David do? He engaged his spiritual authority. He called the priests. He engaged his spiritual authority. You need a pastor, and you've been blessed with a great man of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you. You need a pastor. You need to engage your spiritual authority in such desperate times. Number two, David sought the face of God in prayer. You need a prayer life. You need a prayer life. Hallelujah. We can't just begin to pray when things go bad. Oh, God, where are you, Lord? No, we need to be talking with him every day, every day, every day. Hallelujah. You need a prayer life. And number three, David received the word from the Lord, but it wasn't enough to simply receive a word from God. He obeyed the word that he received. Hallelujah. Because you need to participate in the plan of God for your life. This is not a spectator sport. Living this apostolic life means that each and every one of us are participants in the word that God has for you personally in your life. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. This message, this message was inspired by something I witnessed years ago as a young person. My pastor had preached and people had come to the altar. They'd responded to the word and, and the, the worship had been wonderful, but it was beginning to die down. And you, you know that, that time in this service, in the altar service, what I'm talking about. It was just sort of winding down and everybody would sort of, well, we, we'd responded and we and God, oh, all right, it's time to wrap it up, all right? Yeah. But there was one woman, one woman who continued. She stood front and center, arms raised, face raised, voice raised. When everyone else was starting to quiet down, she, she was still loud. She was still weeping but praising God. And something happened in that moment because of, instead of things continuing to wind down, the worship began to pick up again. <laughs> Those near her began worshiping also. They began raising their voice in their hands. And, and like wildfire, it began to spread through the church. Person after person after person began to raise their voice and engage in worship once again. Hallelujah. Whether they were in the altar or not, folks that hadn't come to the altar were still in the pews, began to praise God and worship and raise their hands. Hallelujah. I don't know how long the church was just lost in praise and worship. But prior to the next service, I commented to my pastor about that resurgence in the Spirit. It's like a, another wave of the Spirit had just come and crashed in upon us. And, and he mentioned that it was because of that one woman who was facing what he called a zigzag experience. And I finally come to my title. He called it a zigzag experience. She was in a desperate, desperate place, felt alone and cut off. He never shared the details with me, but that one woman, she was determined that night to encourage herself in the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And it didn't matter who was there or who was not there. For all intents and purposes, she was alone with God in that altar that night. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Stand with me, if you would, this morning. God had laid this passage and this word of my heart some months ago. He doesn't always give me as much heads up, but I'm thankful when he does. But as I woke early this morning to pray and meditate, I'm I said, I began to negotiate with God. God, I, I, I don't really want to preach this word. I, how about this message? Or how about another passage? Or, and to give God his due, it was a short negotiation. Because he impressed that this was the word for somebody here this morning. The irony is that when you face a zigzag experience in your life, a time of isolation and desperation, and when you encourage yourself in the Lord, when you, you seek the spiritual authority and you engage your, your prayer life and, and you act in obedience to the word that God has for you, it never affects only you. It's never limited to your life alone because it's contagious. Hallelujah. It's contagious. Just like that one night years ago in Stittsville, Ontario, that this one little lady stood there and it began to spread like wildfire through the church. It's contagious. David's victory was shared by all of those who were with him. Those very men who were about to stone him, they shared in the victory. Because they chased the Amalekites, they defeated them, and they recovered all just like God had promised. Hallelujah. When you trust God and encourage yourself in the Lord, people take notice. People take notice that you don't think are watching your life. They will come to you and say, things are bad. I don't understand. I know that you're going through it. 
you're, you're isolated, you're desperate, and yet there's something different about you. There's something, and people notice, hallelujah, your victory will affect all of those around you, your family, your friends, your co-workers, even those church folk who get on your nerves. God bless them. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God for the body of Christ. Amen, amen. I don't know you. You don't know me. I'm not going to stand in this pulpit this morning and say, I know the promise that God has for you. I know the promises generally that God has. We've already spoken one, Peter's words, to repent and be baptized, be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's a promise for everybody. But you don't know me, I don't know you. And that's why if you are doubting God's promises for your life, if the word that he has spoken into your spirit maybe so long ago, maybe the anointing that was once so fresh is slipping from your grasp, then you know that this message is for you. Because I don't know you and you don't know me. You know that this is from God. But while we may not know each other, we both know him. And it's this zigzag experience that you're facing in your life, this time of isolation and desperation, that God has positioned you to know him even more. Even more. Would you respond to the word, the message the Lord has? Would you fill this altar here this morning, desiring to know God more? God, I don't understand why things have been orchestrated the way they are. I don't know, God, why I feel so cut off, so alone. God, but I want to be drawn closer to you. God, I'm trusting your promises that I'm going to encourage myself in you here this morning, God. I'm not going to encourage myself in any others. God, I'm not going to get distracted by the things of this world, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, but I'm going to take full advantage of your promises in my life. Oh God, oh God, oh Lord, we seek you, Lord Jesus. God, speak a word of promise into our spirits. God, refresh that anointing, God. Hallelujah, as David did that day, that he encouraged himself. He held on to the word that you've spoken. Promises, perhaps, that we have forgotten. Promises that we've given up hope on, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we refresh and strengthen our very grip on those here today, God, knowing that your word is faithful and true. Hallelujah,